0: listening to doing law differently. Join me Lucy Dickens as I explore how the world's most progressive legal service providers are doing law differently. Hi everyone. This is the Doing Law Differently podcast and I am your host Lucy Dickens. Before I get into today's episode, I want to share some news. I have been recognized as a finalist in the Lawyer's Weekly Women in Law Awards in the thought leadership category. I feel really quite proud to be recognized alongside some really forward-thinking colleagues and friends. So congratulations to all of the finalists in this category and all the others as well. I should also thank the guests that I've had on this podcast and all of the listeners who have helped me to spread my message about how we can implement new ways of thinking and doing in law and how we can make sure that we are actually implementing change and not just talking about it. So if you have been listening and you've been sharing the word about the podcast and the other things that I stand for, thank you. Now today, I'm joined by Melissa Lyon, who is a business development and innovation specialist at Hive Legal. She is committed, like me, to changing things up in the law. Mel has many years of experience in legal practice, including as a partner of a law firm, and she now works with Hive. If you've come across Mel in recent years, it's probably in relation to design thinking. She's become a bit of a guru in applying design thinking to legal innovation, which is one of the main topics of the interview today. If you're new to design thinking and you don't quite know what it's all about, first, this episode is a good place to start. Mel and I spend a good deal of time unpacking exactly what it is and how it can be used to make change for the better in law. Mel is also a distinguished fellow for the Centre for Legal Innovation here in Australia and she's recently released a video series for CLI that provides a real foundation for understanding legal design thinking the video series is completely free and available online and I will include a link in the show notes so that you can go and enjoy it. In that video series Mel explains legal design thinking, she tells us what it is and how it works. The videos are also full of examples of how design thinking has been used in law. Lots of practical stuff that as you know I always enjoy. So over to the interview, enjoy! Mel, thank you for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Lucy. I'm very excited to be able to talk to you.
0: I wanted to start with you by making a comment on your job title, which is business development and innovation specialist. And the reason why I wanted to mention that is because I really like it. And I think that it's something that a lot of us, myself included, could think some more about. My job title is senior associate, but I don't really do much... Practice of law anymore, and I think your title is great because it really makes people think about what you do and that you must be in some sort of forward thinking type role
1: yeah, thanks for that it's a really interesting observation, and I suppose I hadn't really reflected on it until you mentioned it <laughs> it's good in a way isn't it because it's something that I speak about but We still do, even in our firm, we still have titles that are very hierarchical and structured in terms of legal because it's always been the way, you know, lawyer, senior associate, special counsel, principal, partner, all of those different sorts of things. But I think as we move um, more towards definitely the use of multidisciplinary teams in the law, which I see a trend of happening, that I think we are going to see people talking about actually what they do as opposed to their titles. And when we're thinking about that from the client's point of view and and from the profession's point of view, that's really important for people to actually know what you do as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I also like that you didn't call yourself the leader or the head of, you call yourself a specialist. And I wonder if that's a subtle recognition that innovation and development happens everywhere, not just by one person with a job title.
1: Absolutely. I am a very strong believer in that, that innovation and culture as well, everyone has a role to play in that too. And one of the things that I think is a misconception around innovation is that one person heads it or you need to have a committee to head it or to do these different types of things. When we're talking, I think about innovation, innovation can come from anywhere and any person within an organization. And we really need to open our minds to see that and to really get the benefit bit of innovative thinking that way because it is looking at where there are the pain points where there can be the improvements to improve the experience for people and it really does come from from everywhere I saw something the other day actually where there was talking about who does a firm have a chief culture officer and the idea around that is no it shouldn't just be one person it has to be the entire team everyone yeah exactly
0: I mentioned in the introduction that you've become known in the Australian legal profession, and probably more broadly than that, actually, as being a bit of a guru in design thinking. Now, for the people who are listening who don't know about design thinking, my definition is that it's basically a process for solving problems. It uses a creative approach, a collaborative approach to come up with ideas and to solve problems. Now, I've got two parts to this question. I want you to give us a quick... Walk through of the design thinking process that you use and then once we've done that I want you to give us some examples of how you've used it in your firm and the kinds of things you've achieved but let's start first with what is design thinking.
1: Sure so I, I usually explain it this way and can I say too that I think a lot of people look at design thinking differently. I am by no means a purist so I have used I've picked up these concepts of design thinking to use them in a context that works for our firm and, and also the where I can see that can work for the legal profession. So
0: you've adopted the design thinking approach, haven't you? You've kind of put your own spin on it and that's called Hive Think P? Absolutely. So we've created our own way of doing it, which is, as you say, Hive Think P and Hive
1: the P in Hive Think P stands for purpose. So we really have a very purpose-driven firm and we have had the benefit of doing that because we started from scratch and we were able to design our firm the way that we wanted it to be with the different components and different ways of thinking and acting. So purpose is a big thing for us, and our purpose is to improve the experience for our clients and our team. So that and we use Hive Think P to actually identify ways of innovating and then implementing those. So what does design thinking mean in a general context? I'll jump to that. It, it, mm-hmm. Three main parts of it. There is empathy. So really taking an empathetic approach. People talking now, I think, will talk a lot now about empathetic leadership. I think that empathy should actually be seen as something that goes right through what you do and not just leaders being empathetic. So empathy is really looking at the end user or the humans that are involved mm-hmm. in the product or the process or the service that you're designing, not just assuming like we often do as lawyers that we know the answer or we have the solution, but really talking to the end users, the ultimate users, finding out where their pain points are and observing them as well to, to find out what needs to be done there to improve their experience. So that's the first part, empathy. The second part is collaboration. And that is around really drawing together the skills and working in a collaborative way to actually come up with a solution and a better process or a better product. I think because of the way that traditional law has developed, it isn't something that comes easily to a lot of lawyers, and I am being very generalist when I say say this, but that working in silos, often our firms are very much working in silos and not just across different types of law like litigation or corporate or tax or whatever but also and more importantly siloing the lawyers yeah and then silos of the people in what i think is much better terms operations area of the firm including hr bd Technology, all of those different types of things, and we'll completely avoid using the word non lawyer here, (laughs) because those firms have actually really had those quite distinct structures. And so the operations side of it is often seen as the back office part. But these people have amazing skills that should be brought to the fore in terms of how we work with our clients as well. Absolutely.
0: And even amongst teams of people who are practicing or client facing, the way that traditional law firms are structured has such a focus on time and billable hours and, you know, getting the work done and out that collaboration is just hard to fit in because it's not prioritized.
1: Absolutely not prioritised and because we're just so used to working in a certain way I mean one of the other things that we've found has been great and I can join so many dots from this point of view of my past experiences in terms of being frustrated about often a lack of collaboration across those different skill sets but when you take away timesheets, which is what Hive's done so we don't have timesheets. we don't charge our clients by time taken we we work out a price with our clients before we start the work which is based on the value that we provide and not based on the time that we spend doing something now when you take that away as well it creates a much more collaborative environment to work in as well. And you're actually working, you're aligning your incentives to work towards a solution. A lot of similarities, I think, between using design thinking processes and actually taking away the concept of charging by time as well. So that's been a great thing for us as well. And the final overall concept of design thinking too is experimentation. So really experimenting, bringing much more of a creative mindset to coming up with ideas and prototyping them and really thinking outside the square in terms of what these solutions might be and looking at other industries, other ways that these problems might have been approached. Once again, I would say that's not something that comes naturally to us as lawyers when we've been trained in a way of being perfectionists, getting things right straight away and not actually failing at doing things. So it, is, it does take a change in mindset for us to have a go, create something quickly, fail quickly if, if, if that's the case, which is a benefit, and not necessarily fall in love with our ideas if they're not going to get us the results that we need need to get. So they're, they're the overarching areas but then the process is actually got taking, stepping you through a way of doing things. So it's starting with empathy. And as I say, I think you can make this your own if you want to. It starts with empathy. It starts with talking to the end users. It starts with gathering the information and the data that you need to actually help come up with that the solution. And then you take that information that you've got and you define what the problems are. So that's often referred to as the how might we stage. So you actually have your problem statement there. What are you trying to solve based on what the end users have told you or what you've observed about how they act or what they need Then you ideate, which is much around the brainstorming and probably what everyone associates with design thinking, which is throwing, you know... um, Post-it
0: notes. Yeah, (laughs) post-its
1: and 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 when people say that, I love because people just assume that this is one big brainstorming session in a room. It is much more than that.
0: Yeah, it's much more than that.
1: Much more than that. It's not just having a good time throwing some bizarre ideas around. It's actually going through this process and coming up with those end results. And it's just... It is fascinating and absolutely amazing the results that you can get from this process and I've had many people say to me I can't believe from when we started to where we are now not just in that brainstorming session but further on what results we've achieved through going through this which we wouldn't have got have we gone another way in a different way yeah the other part of it then is or the next part of it then is the prototyping and that is that idea of experimenting building something but physically or visually building something. So, you know, design thinking, as it probably lends itself to the name, lends itself to it is designing things. It's actually building things or building flowcharts or visual representations of processes or physically building something that might have layers or interactions so that you can actually see what this is going to look like or it can replicate what it's going to look like. And one of the best things that I learned when I was learning to do this was you build to think. So as you're building something or as you're developing and making it into a visual, you're thinking and you're building on those ideas. Mm. It's not all in your head. It's actually physically forming, which is really great for the creative mindset.
0: And of course, the whole concept of prototyping, when you're building a prototype, you're not looking for perfection, you're looking to build something that's an idea that you can test, which encourages you, like you say, to think while you're doing it, but also to work out what works and what doesn't. So you can change it before you get to the expensive end product.
1: Absolutely. And we all know that there's been a lot of emphasis put on technology. And so that idea that I've spent a lot of money implementing an amazingly elaborate technology platform, and a lot of money's involved, a lot of efforts involved in that type of thing. This is a way of actually going into this without creating something that might not necessarily work or that you are stuck with once you've actually put it into place because it's cost so much and so much time to been invested in it so you're absolutely right Lucy and and you've said the next stage of it actually <laughs> even what you just which is which is the, which is the Jumping testing ahead
0: sorry <laughs> no, no no absolutely
1: that's good it's the testing it is getting here's a prototype here is a something that's not too complex let's try this let's see how we can then which is the next stage iterate it because and I've said this before, I think, you know, you can look at the visual of those stages that we've just talked about, which are often depicted as a circle because you iterate it and then you might even find that you come back and you need to talk to the end users again, which you do to actually redesign it a bit more. But what I've realised as I've done this process more and more is that often that perfect circle looks more like a bowl of spaghetti because it actually changes. You you might jump then to having to ideate again, having to find the problem again or having to test or iterated and so you're jumping from different areas. The beauty of it is that it actually gives you a more agile way of thinking as well and it's not that end-to-end project that often loses things along the way and the worst part of that is if it loses the focus on the end user along the way because that is exactly what you don't want to have happening
0: Yeah, you're making me think of that image the visualisation of an idea where it's the line that starts out and then it turns into what the spaghetti is a very good way of describing it, it's basically just a mess where the thoughts kind of go all over the place and then at some point it comes out the other side and starts to kind of form more of a smooth line again once you've done all the messy thinking and the ideation and the prototyping and all of that.
1: Absolutely. There are a couple of things that I've observed too and, and these are word, words of some others.
0: You have to live with the ambiguity for a while in this
1: process, yeah. which is sometimes hard for legally trained people because, or people in the profession because we want to jump to the solution and the ambiguity sits
0: very unnaturally with us. Often. Absolutely, yes. We don't work well with grey. Well, well, I don't know about that actually. I think we do when it suits us. <laughs> I think when it it suits us, I think we're good. You know, it could be this and nobody really knows because it's at the discretion of the court. But I think you're right. As a general rule, we like things to be black and white and we like answers and solutions and, and, you know, right and wrong. So give us some examples of some projects that you've used design thinking on and um, the outcomes that you've seen.
1: Yeah, sure. So a few of the projects we've done um, specifically at Hive fall into a couple of different areas. One is document design and I think in a way that's the most easily explained in terms of how you can use design thinking for that because it is a tangible and it's a a thing that you have in the end. So we worked with a digital design agency called August and we decided that having uh, one of our areas of specialisation is privacy. And we looked at what privacy policies often look like, which is a whole lot of text words often on websites that don't necessarily lend themselves to people or aren't necessarily accessible but also don't really encourage people to read them so we used a hive thick, and in combination with August processes as well because design agencies have been doing this for so many years it's it might be a new concept for law but there are so many other sectors and industries and people out there that have been benefiting from this for ages which
0: is exactly your point about collaboration there's no need for us to reinvent the wheel because there are other people out there doing it we just need to learn from them
1: absolutely and I love doing that and I love seeing those light bulb moments when you just realize that this can apply and be of such benefit to the profession and I know for me my light bulb moment was around hearing it being used in the access to justice space at that stage in, in Europe and just to see that type of thing happening was fantastic for me but anyway so what we what we did with August was we sat down and we went right well so we, we actually thought about the end users who is going to read this policy we, we talked to people we observed how people might be accessing what was on the website to start off with and we worked out what was important what was the important information what was what we needed to get across. And then we started thinking about having looked at it from the end user's point of view, the end users there being, and we looked at all of the stakeholders, you know, the cl- respective clients of August, their employees, because obviously there's private information of employees that's used, their suppliers, other people that they would deal with, their lawyers, and those obviously from the client's point of view uh, clients would want to know that the information that they give is, is being looked after and and dealt with in the right way so having taken that empathy approach which was the first part of it, we then all got together we had designers we had an office manager myself um lawyers and um uh we basically then started to think about what this would look like and and we did the amazing um you know design sketching um, or everyone having an idea. I even tried to draw. I'm a shocking drawer, but I had a go. And it was an amazing, um, I'm going to say the word, vibe in the room because we were really looking at what we needed to look at legally and what we needed to get across, but then how did we actually get that across? So, what we ended up coming up with was an animated privacy policy that sits on all this website. And it is basically Fernando, their fish mascot taking you through an underwater journey in terms of what happens to private information when it enters, uh, becomes part of what, what August is doing for their clients. And it, it's got animation in it, it's got very casual language in it, but it's interesting and we're very proud. It's been described as beautiful and interesting and creative but also very accessible, which is something that we're, that's exactly what we wanted
0: to do. A quick break from the interview to let you know about a new service that I'm offering. For almost 10 years, I've designed and delivered productised legal services that have transformed the way law firms operate. I've now designed a coaching programme where I'll teach you how to design services that truly meet your customers' needs, package them for sale, and systematise and streamline service delivery so that you can work smarter, not harder. Ultimately, it's about simplifying your business model so you can escape the billable hour and the best part, spend your time on work you love. If you're keen to learn more, visit lucydickens.com.au and book in for a free 30-minute discovery call. What kind of response they had from the people who were using their website. Are more people reading it?
1: Absolutely, more people are reading it, and I haven't got the stats with me at the moment. But the stats in terms of the number of hits that are, that happen on that page have been amazing. We've had other design organisations compliment us on it, which has been fantastic. And we were finalists in the uh, Clear Communication Awards that have just been done in Australia as well, and along with and some other legal organisations as well. We didn't win, and congratulations to the winners. But it was
0: just <laughs> a great. Mission. It's good to be recognised, absolutely. Yeah, and that idea
1: of using design to communicate is exactly what we wanted because it is that idea of creating certain things for the end user.
0: Yeah, and it makes so much difference for the end user and you can really tell the difference between a business who has designed their interface or their process or whatever, their service with their customers in mind and one who hasn't. And I want to show this example that I've dealt with recently because it's still bugging me. Last week, I had to book a flight, an emergency flight for my husband to fly overseas and I was rushing and I kind of got through the booking process for this website a flight booking website, and right at the end, after you check out, so you put in your credit card details, you press buy, you think you're buying this flight. I've said no to all the extra stuff because I don't want it. They try and sell you everything, every possible add-on. No, 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 mm. no. And then at the end, I think I'm done. I've paid as far as I'm concerned. A box pops up with a red button that says, yes, continue, and in really, really tiny text on the bottom left, it says, no, thanks, And the description, which I confess to not reading in full at the time, but the description, which is a big chunk of paragraph text, is talking about adding on like a last minute flight cancellation insurance thing, which was $250 buried there in the big paragraph text. And you look at that and if you're me and you don't pay attention, which yes, partly it's my fault, but. I'm blaming the business for not designing very well. You just say, yes, continue. I want to continue. As far as I'm concerned, I've booked my flight and I've paid for it. And so that is an example of someone who absolutely has not designed with the end user in mind, because to me, that's designed to catch me to say, let me just add another $250 to your booking. But you can see how that kind of business would compare with somebody who provides the complete opposite approach, who has clearly designed with their customers in mind.
1: Absolutely. And, and it makes so much sense when you start to think about it this way. I admit too, I'm constantly now looking at, at my customer experience all the time. Yeah. I think this is what design thinking does too. It actually links a lot of those concepts and a lot of that idea around the customer and the client experience, mm. uh, which fits beautifully with what, what we do at Hive because that's part of our purpose.
0: And it is always an evolution. I look back on on even the template documents that I prepared 12 months ago, and I think, what on earth was I thinking when I did that? Because it's constant evolution. It's never really finished because there's always some improvement that can be made when you have a new understanding of your customer or a new perspective or somebody else's knowledge that you didn't have at the time. Now, I want to move on to another topic that I really want to ask you about, which is your phrase that you've coined to describe modern law firms, and that is designer firms. You've written about this online, and I'll link to your article in the show notes because I enjoy it. And Basically, what you talk about is joining the dots between the different approaches. And My interpretation of your designer firms is that you're really talking about firms who are actually doing things differently and actually reinventing the wheel, as opposed to people who say, oh, we do fixed price billing, so that makes us different or that makes us modern you're looking for people who are actually drawing these different strings together and practicing in a real unique way can you tell us about your designer firm's concept
1: sure Um, my designer firm's concept came out of my frustration I suppose that I felt that there was a lot of confusion around what was meant by new law firms and we were put into that bucket and people would assume that you were a tech driven firm or you were a resourcing firm or something else. But but there wasn't the appreciation for a firm that actually had started from scratch and built a business model that was really there to assist it in the purpose that it had been designed to do. And I talked before about having that purpose. So I, I see... Thankfully, there are a growing number of these firms out there and I just love it every time I see them. Where people have been brave enough to go, we don't want to work in a traditional law firm business model. We were actually what we know what we're about and what we do and we want to build a business model that actually helps us to achieve that purpose. So they're growing in number, absolutely fantastic. And I see they have a number of different designer firms, as I call them, and I love that it's being embraced by some of the new firms as well. They have a really clear sense of purpose, which is what I spoke about before. They have a very clear use of and and show empathy, not just to their clients, but to everyone that they work with and their team especially as well. They collaborate and Mm -hmm. they have their business in internal structures so that collaboration is not only possible, but is encouraged and they have the benefit of that. And this leads into that as well, multidisciplinary skills. So the, mm. the their understanding and concept that a client's problem is not necessarily just going to be a pure legal problem or require a legal solution. It's going to be benefited from a more holistic approach. So you then start to build in those other skills that we've talked about. They are innovative, not just because their business models are innovative, because they want to be innovative and they want to improve the experience for everyone that's involved as well. And once again, that innovation comes not just from a committee or a person, it comes from anywhere, anywhere anyone within the organisation and is encouraged and applauded and celebrated. And finally, I think that... Design thinking is being used so much more in these firms as well. So when I came up with the idea of designer firms, it wasn't because they're using design thinking. It was more that they've actually been designed in a way and pulling together those elements to achieve a very different business model and and different purpose but as you were saying before Lucy about that idea of things evolving I'm very keen now because I can see more things to add to that list value pricing is one thing that I think should be added to that list and I, I didn't call it out when I initially wrote this article a couple of years ago um, or 18 months ago but value pricing I think is one of the common factors that I'm seeing with designer firms as well as is this idea to a, a really a really curious approach around how things can be differently done differently and processes and and how we can work with different people within our industry to get the word out there as well because one of the things that I noticed too about these types of firms is The generosity of sharing experiences, being involved in organisations like the Centre for Legal Innovation and the Chief Innovation Officers Forum, being like like yourself, being involved and doing things like your amazing podcast and doing things differently and sharing experiences so that people can benefit from that as well. And that's a very different
0: way of thinking. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. The people who are thinking in this way are not thinking in this way just for themselves or, for, or to build their own business. They're thinking bigger. They want to make the profession better. They want to make their communities better and help their communities. So it's definitely much broader than just their individual self-interest or their interests of their business. They're well and truly thinking about how can I help the profession and how can I make things change for the better?
1: Absolutely. And one of the things too that we know is a real issue in the legal profession is, is wellbeing for the people that are working in the profession. So many of the firms, or I'd say all of the firms that I would describe as designer firms have that at the heart of what they're doing as well to have, to be really working with their team, no matter what their roles are, working with their team to ensure that they minimise the impact that stress and overwork can have on their teams as well because these business structures and these models and the ways of, of working with each other and the trust that's involved in working in this way has amazing benefits for your being and enjoyment of of working in the profession.
0: What's some advice that you would give to somebody who wants to do law differently? What If they've got an existing business, what do you think is the first step that they should take?
1: I think start again in terms of your thinking. So, really, this is taking a design thinking approach. Mm. It is take away all those all those misconceptions of how you've worked previously, of what you've done. Forget about the precedents. Don't necessarily look to benchmark yourself against other firms, and really work out why. You know, the Simon Senecott approach, which I'm an absolute. OT to of actually working out why you do what you do or what you wanted to what you're going to do what you're going to do as opposed to what you do that why gives you the foundation for building a firm in the way that you want to build it and gives you the foundation for working out how you're going to design your firm which is what I've spoken about before I think it can be a difficult task because we talked before about finding it difficult to live with the ambiguity but I've seen it done before and it is an amazingly powerful thing to do to really strip everything back and start to think about why you want to create a firm, or why you want to do what you do and what your purpose is in that. And it might sound a bit, I'll say, airy-fairy, especially if you're a traditional thinker and you just think, well, I'm out there to practice law and my clients are lucky to have me. (laughs) But it's a very important, very important step to take to start off with.
0: And it's becoming more important as well as the legal market is continuing to change because having a clear sense of purpose really helps a firm to differentiate themselves from all the other firms who are just practicing law, like you say, or are just providing legal services. So that purpose is something that if we can really tap it into, it can help us to differentiate ourselves and really stand out in the marketplace.
1: Absolutely, and gives us the enjoyment of achieving our personal mm. and our business purposes God. as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think that really is a, is a very important thing. And I know I probably overuse this term, but one of the things we do say at Hive often is happy team, happy clients, happy clients, happy team. And that is because that enjoyment or that purpose that we have there of improving the experience drives us forward, but it has that beautiful thing of working for both us and our clients. And we can see how that can build success from both internally and
0: externally as well. Thank you very much for spending some time with me and sharing all that you know about design thinking.
1: Thanks, Lucy. I really appreciate you having me and congratulations on what you're doing to spread the word around doing things differently and improving the experience. It's it's great to see and it's great to have the ability for more people to, to share their experiences through beautiful
0: platforms like yours. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mel. Don't forget to go and check out her video series with the Centre for Legal Innovation. And like I said before, I will include the link in the show notes. If you're looking to do law differently and you're a little bit stuck with how to actually implement your change or perhaps what change you should be making, get in touch. I'd love to help. I have a coaching program and I also offer workshop facilitations for small teams to help you unpack your purpose, like Mel says, and work out how you can design services that your customers truly need. See you next week. So that's all from Doing Law Differently today. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, I'd love it if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes. It makes a big difference because it really helps other people to find out about the show. And lastly, if you or someone who you know is doing law differently, then send them my way at doinglawdifferently.com.au forward slash guest. I'd love to have as much variety on the show as possible, so do send them over. See you next week. You've been listening to the Doing Law Differently podcast. Visit doinglawdifferently.com.au